The following is a message from Christ the King Presbyterian Church in Roanoke, Virginia. For more information about the ministry of Christ the King, please visit us at ctkroanoke.org. Good morning. Welcome to Christ the King. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Penny, and I'm the senior pastor here. And it is great to be with you. Uh, if you are a guest or a visitor, welcome. We're glad that you're with us this morning. And, uh, and we gather uh, each and every Sunday um, in order that we would give praise to our God, that we would uh, honor him with our lives, that we would cling to him and hold fast to his grace and his mercy. And so we come and we sing and we pray and we come under his word and dine at his table because this is what we need. As people of God, this is what we need. We need his grace week in and week out, day by day. And so we come and, and we expect to hear from his word. And the portion of his word that we're going to hear this morning is Joshua 23. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Joshua 23. Um, so, so if you've been with us over the last number of weeks, you know that we took a pause in our study of the book of Joshua during Advent. And so it's been a few weeks since we've been in Joshua, but but there's only two chapters left of this book, and, um, and we, we need some uh, resolve. We, we need some resolution. We, we don't want to leave ourselves hanging, and so we're going to finish uh, our study of Joshua this week and next, and then we'll jump into the book of Mark in uh, a few Sundays. So, <clears throat> so this morning we're in Joshua 23, and since it has been a number of weeks, let me just remind you where we've been. The book of Joshua is recounting the people of God, Israel, coming into the land, right? They've crossed the River Jordan. Joshua has led them into the land. They've taken different cities. They've gone to war with various nations. God has given them this land, his possession, and now they have rest. Yet despite all of the successes that they had, despite all the ways that God showed himself to be faithful, Israel at times through this book has shown themselves to be faithless. Right? We've seen in various ways how they have stumbled, how they have fallen, how they have failed, how they have sinned and turned from God. And yet what's amazing is that even as Israel fails, God does not. He continues to be faithful to his people. And that's one of the beautiful themes of the book of Joshua, right? God's faithfulness to his people. That though his people kept turning away, though his people kept falling, God was faithful well, now we come to chapter 23, and in chapter 23, we have Joshua beginning to give his goodbye speech. So Joshua knows the end is near. His uh, death is knocking at his door. He will die soon, and so he is going to give his last words to them in Joshua 23 and Joshua 24. So I wonder, I wonder if, if you knew exactly when your death was going to come, and you were prepared for it, what would be the words that you would want to speak with your final breath? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, those famous last words, right? Those words that maybe some people might remember, maybe they'd be written down, maybe they'd be passed along, right? What would be those words we would want to speak? Maybe they would be words of modesty, right? Like da Vinci, that great painter, with his last breath, he said, I have offended God and mankind because my work did not reach the quality it should have. <laughs> he had a high bar, right? <laughs> He's a pretty good painter, right? So maybe it'd be modesty that would be on our lips, or maybe it would be love, 
Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, he said with his last breath, looking at his wife, you are wonderful. Maybe you'd crack a joke like Groucho Marx, who said that there, this is no way to live. <laughs> or, or maybe, <laughs> or maybe your last words would be full of disappointment, like John Adams, who famously and wrongly said, Thomas Jefferson survives. Whatever our last breath might be, whatever those last words were, we're given them, we're giving Joshua's last words in chapter 23 and 24. So let's go ahead and read Joshua 23. A long time afterwards, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all the surrounding enemies, and Joshua was old and well advanced in years, Joshua summoned all Israel, its elders and heads, its judges and officers, and said to them, I am now old and well advanced in years, and you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. For it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. Behold, I have allotted to you an inheritance for your tribes, those nations that remain, along with all the nations that I have already cut off from the Jordan to the great sea in the west. The Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight, and you shall possess their land just as the Lord your God promised you. Therefore, be very strong to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left, that you may, may not mix with these nations remaining among you or make mention of the names of their gods or swear by them or serve them or bow down to them. But you shall cling to the Lord your God, just as you have done to this day. For the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations, and as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. One man of you puts to flight a thousand, since it is the Lord your God who fights for you, just as he promised you. Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. For if you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you, and make marriages with them so that you associate with them and they with you, Know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, but they shall be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes, until you perish from, from off this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. And now I'm about to go the way of all the earth, and you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. But just as all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you have been fulfilled for you, so the Lord will bring upon you all the evil things until he has destroyed you from off this good land that the Lord your God has given you. If you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and you shall perish quickly from off the good land that he has given to you. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. And we ask that as we read it, as we study it, as we meditate upon it, that you would meet with us and minister to us, that, Father, you would help us to cling to you, to hold fast to your grace, and that you would be with the one who speaks and preaches this morning. You would be with all those who hear, so that what is said and done this day would honor you. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. 
So you heard what Joshua's, Joshua's last words are, right? We, the theme of his last words, his famous last words, could be summarized in verse 8. But you shall cling to the Lord your God just as you have done to this day. You see, what Joshua says with his final breaths, with his last speech to the people of God, he says to them, grab hold, don't let go, cling to the Lord. And it's not hard to imagine why Joshua would say this to the people of Israel, right? Because Joshua's about to die, and as he dies, surely the people would be filled with fear and worry and wonder, Right? I mean, this is the man who led them, who led them across the Jordan, who led them to attack these cities, who spoke the word of truth to them. He has been their leader, and now he's going away. And so what will come of us? What will become of us? The people could become untethered. They might feel lost or afraid. They might be filled with anxiety, right? Because there are still nations in the land. That's what Joshua said. There are still nations out there. There are still those opposed to God and to his people. And so, so what will the people hold on to? With all these other nations surrounding them, with all these other gods, what are the people going to hold on to now that Joshua is gone? You can imagine their fear, their worry, right? It, it's kind of like when uh, you take your child or maybe your grandchild or maybe you're babysitting, you're, you're taking a kid with you and you're going into this environment, this place where there is a sea of people and you are surrounded, right? So maybe it's like the Virginia Tech football game, right? Like a few months ago, right? When the, the storm came and they sent everyone into the concourse, right? And so thousands of people are trying to get out of the stadium all at once, and you have your child, right? Being jostled, being pushed, being pulled. Or maybe in the DC metro station, right? During rush hour, and people are rushing off the train, and they're trying to get to their various places, and there's your child being pushed and pulled. Or maybe an amusement park, right, where there is a sea of people. And so what do you do when you have that child, whether it's yours or your grandchild or, or one that you're supposed to just be caring for? What do you say to them? You say, hold my hand, right? Do not let go, right? I don't care how much you are pushed and pulled and jostled and, and moved and just hold on. I know it's going to take a little longer for us to get to the ride. I know you're going to have to be patient, but don't let go. You will be pushed and pulled. And so kids, you hold on, right? You grab hold of your parents' hand, your mom or dad's or grandparents, right? You hold on to their hand because even though you're pushed, even though you're pulled, even though there's this sea of people, you know that as long as you hold on, you're safe. And so you cling to them. And that's what Joshua is telling Israel to do. That's what he's telling us to do with the Lord. He's saying, cling to the Lord. Hold tight. Don't let go. Hold on because we are going to be in danger of clinging to other things. That's actually the context of verse 8, isn't it? Joshua has set up a contrast. In verse 7, he says, Do not mix with these nations remaining among you, or make mention of the names of their gods, or swear by them, or serve them, or bow down to them. And then later in verses 12 and following, he describes what could happen if the people let go of the Lord, 
If they let go of their grip grip upon him and, and they cling to other gods or to the nations, what will happen to them? They will be led astray and they will experience God's judgment. And so he's warning them. He knows the fear and anxiety, the worry and, the, fl- and the, the flesh that can pull at them, that they can cling to. And Joshua is concerned. He's concerned that they will cling to the world and turn from God. Okay, so think about this now. Think about us in our fears and our concerns for today and our fears of the future, and our worries about tomorrow, and our desires for assurance, what do we cling to? What are the things that are inviting us to hold on to? Power, money, health, and security. Right, in, in case you guys weren't sure, this is election season, right, like that, that's going on, we're in the midst of it, it really never goes away, it seems like, but, but we're in election season, what are we hearing, right, from these candidates, from politicians, what they're saying is, I, I can deal with your fear, right, vote for me, and you know, all those problems that you have with the other person, I will solve them all, you will be secure, you will be safe, I will give you power. I will give you influence. I will let your voice be heard yet again, right? These are the promises that are made. And so we cling to that. We hold fast to these things. But the truth is, is that power and wealth and security and health and the promises that these people make are fleeting, No, Joshua is saying to us, don't cling to the world. Don't cling to those things. Cling to the Lord. Cling to the Lord. And why? Why are we to cling to the Lord? Well, because of who he is and what he's done. So in verses 1 and 3, Joshua's recounting what God has done. In verse 1, God gave them rest. In verse 3, you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. For it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. So you hear what he's doing, right? He's recounting portions of their history. It's their more immediate history, right? The last 20 or 30 years of Israel. But we actually see this happening all throughout Scripture. Right? We see these occasions where the writer of Scripture is recounting for the audience, for the hearer, the history that they've experienced. Right? They're reminding them of who God is and what he's done. And they're doing this not simply as a history lesson. They're doing this not simply so that they would memorize some facts or remember some details of events, but it's something much deeper and far more significant than that. You see, this reminding of their past is a way of reminding the people of God's faithfulness and his character, because his faithfulness has been seen by what he has done. So that's what Joshua does. With his last breaths, he points to the Lord. And you notice he didn't say, when I die, when I go away, when you're afraid, when you're in danger of clinging to something else. He doesn't say, remember me. Right? He doesn't say, remember all I did and said, remember how I was that great leader for you. Remember how I was very courageous and I was strong. Right? He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, I want my words ringing in your ears. No, what he says is, remember the Lord. 
and remember what the Lord has done. You see, God's faithfulness in the past is the foundation for why we cling to him in the present and the future. He has shown himself to be faithful, so we cling to him again. In verse 14, Joshua says, Now I am about to go the way of all the earth. And you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. You hear him encouraging them. God has been faithful. He has kept all his promises, all his works. Cling to him. You can almost hear rhetorical questions under this statement. Right? Rhetorical questions like, like, why would you ever cling to the nations? Or, or why would you turn to the gods of this land? Did they bring you out of the wilderness? Did they fight your battles? Did they make promises and keep them all? And the answer, the overwhelming answer to those rhetorical questions is no. Of course it wasn't the world, it wasn't the gods, it wasn't the land or the nations. It was the Lord. He's the one who has been faithful. He's been faithful to them, and he's been faithful to us. Right? And so we recount and we remember how God has been faithful to you and to me. And we see his faithfulness in the cross, don't we? I mean, that's the most clear depiction of God's faithfulness because in the cross, the Lord took our sin upon himself. And he died in our stead, and he was buried, and he rose again triumphantly in resurrection glory. And he did that so that grace would abound to us, so that our sins would be forgiven. That is the faithfulness of God. That is why we cling to him. We cling to the Lord your God. Now, I want us to see something that's pretty cool in this passage. It's, it's really beautiful. That phrase, the Lord your God. So this, this chapter is 16 verses, 16 verses, 17 times the Lord is named, 17 times. And every time the Lord is named, he's named the Lord. He's spoken of as the Lord, and it's Lord in small caps, okay, all caps. And many of you know that when we see that, uh, we see that word in the Old Testament, Lord in small caps, it's a translation of the Hebrew word Yahweh. God's covenantal, personal name. Okay, so 17 times in 16 verses, Yahweh is spoken of, right? This isn't just any God we're talking about. We're talking about the Lord. We're talking about Yahweh, the God of Israel. 16 verses, 17 times, and of those 17, 13 of them, he's called the Lord your God. Not the Lord of anyone not, not the Lord, some God, any God, but the Lord, your God. Y'all, that doesn't mean that he's a God of our own creation or of our choosing. It's expressing this relationship that we have with the Lord. That we are his people and he is our God. That that's what his faithfulness to us does. It makes us his people, right? And that's actually the covenantal phrase that we will be his people and he will be our God. It shows up in Revelation 
When Jesus returns and he makes all things new and he brings with them the new heavens and the new earth, what we're told there is then we will dwell with him forever because he will be our God and we will be his people. Y'all think about that. That we, like think about your own life. Think, think about my life. Like there is nothing in us that would cause him to call us his own, and yet he does. It's out of grace and love that he is not just the Lord, but he is the Lord, your God, the faithful one. That is why we cling to him, because he has been faithful to his promises, because he is the Lord, your God. That's who he is and what he has done. Okay, so that's why we cling, but how do we cling? How do we cling? Well, Joshua tells us in verse 6, he says, Be very strong to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right nor to the left. So you see what he's saying? He's saying we cling to the Lord by keeping his commands. Right? It's as simple as that. We keep his commands. Now, now I imagine there's some of you maybe here, maybe you're not thinking this, but but I guarantee you, you have a neighbor or a coworker or a family member who's thinking this. Like you hear, keep God's commands, and you think, mm, I don't think I need to do that. Like, I'm happy for the Lord to be my Savior, right? I'm happy to look to him. I'm glad that he died on the cross. I'm glad that he forgives my sins. But you know what? I think I can do it. I think I got it from here. Like, I'm smart enough. I'm talented enough. I've been around the block enough times. Like, do I really need God's commands? It feels like an unnecessary constraining of us. We know how to live and how to walk and what we need. You know, this reminds me of a story that I heard a number of years ago. There were a group of uh, people that came together and they were going to go hike Mount Blanc in Switzerland. And so they get together and they're with uh, they're, uh, they're with their group leader the night before, and the group leader, the one who's going to take them up the mountain, he says to them, their guide says, tomorrow morning when you arrive, I want you to only come to climb with your boots, your ropes, and your axes, your ice axes. That's all you're going to need. We'll supply the rest. Well, hearing this, one of the group members, you know, he, he's having none of this because uh, he doesn't want to leave his stuff behind. He says to the rest of the group, he says, well, uh, you know, I want my camera equipment and I brought some chocolate and some hunks of cheese and bottles of water and, and a blanket so we can stop along the way and we can sit and we can take in these beautiful vistas. And so I'm not leaving that behind. I don't care what the guide says. And the guide overhears this and says, you're a fool. You don't need any of those things. Just listen to me. Well, the next morning, this man who, who wants his camera equipment and his cheese as he's climbing a mountain, um, he, he sets out a little bit earlier than the rest of the group. He sets out a little bit earlier and he starts climbing and the rest of the group, they, they start following him a little while later. And as they're ascending the mountain, they see camera equipment thrown by the side and hunks of cheese and bottles of empty uh, water bottles uh, laying along the path. And they find his blanket and, and some of the chocolate that he had that he had strewn and, and cast aside. And they make it to the top and they find him and he's sitting there waiting for them. And all he has is his boots, his ropes, and his ice axe. Because along the way, he realized that the way up 
was to listen to his guide. Along the way, he realized that the guide's directions and instruction and leading was not hindering his ability. No, his direction and instruction and commands were the way to success, were the way up the mountain. And friends, the same is true for us. We can think, we can think that we know better than God. We can think that his commands are for less intelligent, less strong, less skilled, less mature people. But friends, God's commands, his ways, his instructions, they are actually for our good. They are not unnecessarily constraining us. They are lovingly caring for us. They're the way of true life. And so we keep his commandments And in keeping his commandments, we are reflecting our love for him. You see, that's how we cling. By keeping his commandments and loving him above all else. Joshua says in verse 11, Not just be strong to keep his commandments, but be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. You see, what you love is what you will cling to. What you love is what you will hold fast to. So the question that we should be asking ourselves is who or what do we love? Jesus said it this way. He said you can't serve two masters. You will either love the one and hate the other, or you will hate the one and love the other, but you can't serve them both. And then he also said that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and the law and the prophets depend on that love. That what we cling to is what we love most. So what do we love? What do you love more than anything else? Friends, if it's security, if it's financial well-being, if it's popularity, if it's notoriety, if it's power, if it's intelligence, that is what we will cling to. But what Joshua is telling us, what he is telling us is that we should cling to the Lord, that we must cling to the Lord because he is, he is what our hearts ultimately long for. He is the one that we are to love above all else. And so like the child in a sea of people, as we are pulled and pushed by other loves, by other things that we can hold to, that we can cling to. Like that child, we cling to our Father. We hold fast to Him, clinging to God, the Lord, the one whom we love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You. Thank You that You have shown Your love and that You gave Your Son, our Lord Jesus, to live and to die and to rise again so that we might be Your people. And so we ask that you would help us as your people to live and to walk in accord with your commands, to love you above all else, and to hold fast to you, our God and our King, in whose name we pray and all God's people said together, amen.